Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book, all right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella. Episode 60, Young Adult Literature Tangent Special. Stella, a podcast that is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and each month we take a thorough look at one piece of literature. We have both read and determined whether or not it is required reading. Except for every 10th episode, and since this is episode 60, we have one of our tangent specials where we take a special topic or genre or something of that matter, and just talk about it, our experience with it, and uh, maybe do a little bit of an evaluation of it. So this time around, we are taking a look at a very wide category mm-hmm. of literature, and that is the young adult literature. We're going to the YA stuff, the YA shelf in Barnes & Noble. And here with me is my lovely co-host i don't have any sort of witty bot right <laughs> now like, where is he going i don't know where i'm going with this stella how are you hey i'm doing well so does this mean that we're officially five years in roughly is this like yeah. an, also an anniversary episode i believe we are pretty much five years in this is our fifth year anniversary wow didn't even think of that did you no i teach english not math stella <laughs> 
But now do you want to take a moment to reminisce over the past five years? We can have dreamy music behind us and like a little flashback sequence. <laughs> I know. Oh, no. No, it's it's fun. Uh, someone was or is catching up on this show that talks to me via Twitter and had been commenting about how, you know, you and I get along and we have these deep conversations. And I told him, like, yeah, Tom, you have to be able to trust, you know, your co-host. Yeah. And I, number one, we have that. And number two, I think we've just become such better friends. It's not mm -hmm. like we were bad friends before, but just as we've gone along. And I think we've really we really know each other, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, one of the best things that you can have about someone that they know you and you are known by them. So yeah, it's been, it has been a fun journey. We've betrayed each other. We've betrayed ourselves with some books, <laughs> but no, I'm interested to see what this YA conversation turns out to be because it is, I think the most amorphous Mm -hmm. conversation we may have and show notes that we had created with them so i think it'll just be uh, an interesting conversation for sure it's it's one of those things that i think that is almost like a gateway topic to subtopics like you know this is almost like an umbrella that later on in, in other episodes either through books or other specials we might take a closer look at some of the different genres contained within young adult literature or some of the uh, issues and aspects brought up because there's like, you know, we have, we have a couple of questions for each other on here that deal with uh, things such as like band and uh, band and challenged books mm -hmm. or uh, diversity of audience and diversity of author and diversity of characters, which could be their whole, whole entire podcast episodes themselves. So we'll probably touch on quite a bit and um, and just kind of save a lot of it for later, but we'll make sure that we mention it because we can't really go through a discussion on young adult literature um, without really uh, getting into it, get, without really at least touching upon those. So we are, uh, are going to talk a little bit about what liter young adult literature is. Basically, what I'm going to do first is talk about a brief history of YA Lit, and then we'll get into our own personal histories with it. Um, the source that I'm going to read off of is a white paper by the ALA, the American Library Association, especially the uh, YALSA, which is the Young uh, – I should know these things – the Young Adult Library Sciences Association, which is kind of a subset of that, and they – put together a pretty prestigious list of best of young adult books um, or honors books that uh, they pick out every year. And um, so that's, uh, you know, so so I went to basically to the source of what young adult literature is. And according to them, the term young adult literature or YA is inherently amorphous, speaking of the word amorphous, <laughs> for its constituent terms, young adult and literature are dynamic, changing as culture and society, which provide their context change. When the term first found common usage in the late 1960s, it referred to realistic fiction that was set in the real as opposed to imagined contemporary world and addressed problems, issues, and life circumstances of interest to young readers aged approximately 12 to 18. Such titles were issued by the children's book divisions of American publishers and were marketed to institutions, libraries, and schools that served such populations. While some of this remains true today, much else has changed. In recent years, for example, the population of this group has changed dramatically. Between 1990 and 2000, the number of persons between 12 and 19 soared to 32 million. Aside, we know these people as 
millennials, a growth rate of 17% that significantly outpaced the growth of the rest of the population. The size of this population segment has also increased as the conventional definition of young adult has expanded to include those that are as young as 10 and since the late 1990s as old as 25. Literature, which traditionally meant fiction, has also expanded to include new forms of literary or narrative nonfiction and new forms of poetry, including novels and book-length works of nonfiction in verse. The increasing importance of visual communication has begun to expand this definition to include the pictorial, as well as especially when offered in combination with text in the case of picture books, comics, and graphic novels and nonfiction. As a result of these newly expansive terms, the numbers of books book being published for this audience have similarly increased, perhaps by as much as 25%, based on the number of titles being reviewed by a leading journal. The once dismissed as a genre of consisting of little more than problem novels and romances, young adult literature has since the mid-1990s come of age itself. Literature that welcomes artistic innovation, experimentation, and risk-taking. Evidence of this is the establishment of the Michael L. Prince Award, which he also presents annually to the author of the best young adult book of the year, best being defined solely in terms of literary merit. Mm. Further evidence is the extraordinary number of critically acclaimed adult authors who have begun writing for young adults. Authors like Michael Chabon, Isabella Allende, Dale Peck, Julia Alvarez, T.C. Boyle, Joyce Carol Oates, Ferencine Prose, and a host of others. As a result of these and other innovations, young adult literature has become one of the most dynamic, creatively exciting areas of publishing. And I think that I included, I skipped, I left a little bit out for length. I included that because I thought it was a good summation of a little bit of the history of the uh, genre. Or ca- I, I, I know category and genre are interchangeable, but kind of like, category fits a little bit better because there's like there's genres within the genre so it's it's just ya you know i think it's a pretty good summation of ya and it has come a long way it did exist back in you know when i was younger and when my um and when the the older part of my generation was younger um one of the first books i know that was really considered to be kind of the pioneer of of the modern day ya lit is uh se hinton's the outsiders Mm. um but you know it has as they were saying it has exploded in the last couple of decades so that's where we're going to start we're going to talk a little bit about our personal histories of it where we came into it and uh and and what we were reading and what we were not reading when we were around the ya age of 12 so why don't you talk a little bit about like i don't maybe just kind of yourself as reading as a kid and then how you came into young adult literature and what it was to you when you were of the age for the audience yeah, well, it looks like I was a bit of a surreptitious reader. Mm. I don't know if I was lazy or manipulative, but... <laughs> you? Manipulative? <laughs> no. I know, it's one of my superpowers. But a- according to my mother, I would... Which I do remember this. I would get her when she was reading. Like, she had to read every single page. I mean, we're talking... The copyright page and everything, start to finish. And so I didn't really show any talent, any skill. I was not reading 
at all, except there was just one day randomly, I guess this was before kindergarten or something, we were in a doctor's office, and I just picked up a book, which was Pickles the Fire Cat, mm -hmm. and I just started reading, like, very fluidly, and this was like a chapter book, and so I guess I was just hiding the fact that I could read all along because I wanted her to continue to read to me. You know, that happened with my kid. Oh, really? He wouldn't want to practice reading. Do my practice reading. We found out that he he was afraid that we would stop reading to her to him, and we we're like, "No, we'll read to as much as we want as you want us to." And then he started reading. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. Well, sometimes I mean, it is fun to be read to. Yeah. And then if there are voices going along, of course, and then just being with your uh, your family. I guess that was the origin story of the reading, and then from then on. It was a big deal to my mother, especially, I would say, that time was carved out every day for reading. So, unfortunately, this be, this caused me to be slightly resentful towards reading because I'd be called in from outside. I was having the time of my life, and then I've got to, like, come in and read 30 to 60 minutes. So, <laughs> that didn't necessarily help matters, but in the long run, it did... It did aid me with that. You did ask if I was in an accelerated reading course. And, or in any yeah, way. Yeah. And and my mom said I wasn't. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't tagged, talented, and gifted. But mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if there was an accelerated reading course offered or not. But I feel like had there been, I would have been in. But nothing okay. that was, yeah, that was direct. But the things that I was reading, I guess the YA stuff that I was reading mostly and these were the times that i was in my indentured reading time were those illustrated classics okay you know that whole series of things where yeah. they would take like huckleberry finn and it'd be abridged and all that so that yeah i had several of those and the, that is what i would be reading so i had a good sense of many quote-unquote classics just from those so that was also nice yeah now you graduated high school in 2004 Five. Yeah. So, oh, good. You, you just before I started my teaching career, but um, oh, good. Yeah, I'm not that old. So, were you? And that's around the time that there was some. That was around like kind of the middle of the, the really first big crest of, of young adult literature in, in a huge way. Did you take in any of that? I know that like I think I don't know if Twilight had been published yet, but I know that was. One thing that was that was starting to um, that would break yeah, big at I, least. And then I guess Harry Potter too was. Yeah. You know, all that stuff was coming out, and and I'm a part of the you know I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter for a pretty long time, mm. and that changed. I don't know what exactly changed, but it did at one point. And yeah, so I guess that Twilight I didn't really get into that until I was in college. Mm -hmm. I remember reading that, and my best friend was also reading that. So I don't know if there were any big YA crazes that I was into at that mm -hmm. time, I think that even though the category has been around for a long time, I don't think it really started to hit as much speed as it now has, or gain traction, I guess. Mm -hmm. at, yeah, late high school and then college, and I wasn't really even looking at that. And it would be the type that you were reading in your your definition that mostly mostly the romances and that kind of stuff so we didn't really have the deeper and more inclusive stories that we do now back true then. yeah very true and we'll we'll take we'll we'll talk a little bit about that when we t uh, later in the episode 
Yeah, all right. So um, I was – my mom likes to talk about how the fact that I was like reading at two years old um, and I was, I was in the – accelerated in the sense that when I was in, in, in elementary school, they had reading groups and each reading group was grouped by their abilities. So, you know, you were given a certain book uh, and it was part of this whole reading program, um, you know, like, you know, each each book had like a nice little title um, and, and illustrations. And I did a blog post about this on Pop Culture Affidavit years ago, but um, there was... You know, they had names like 10 times round and across the fence and barefoot island and mystery sneaker and give me a clue. And there was all these like little short stories and poems and stuff in these reading books. Right. And I was like always at the top of the, the class with that and stuff and uh, and and was kind of reading at like a fourth or fifth grade level when I was in, like kindergarten, to first grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I loved to read. You know, I, I had. um you know, even from when I was a little kid, I like Golden Books and Curious George books and things like that. And then I don't know what my first chapter books, they didn't even call them chapter books back in the day. I didn't know what my first one would have been. It might have been, I remember it very early on reading in, in like second, third, fourth grade, um, maybe a world. I remember our teachers reading World Doll books to us aloud in class. And I remember reading really getting into by the time i was like at the end of second grade into third grade the books by the late great beverly cleary Mm. you know um henry huggins and especially the ramona books like i really loved like ramona and her father and ramona and her mother and ramona can be age eight i just like and and ramona forever I i read those like over and over and over again i really really liked them and um also uh, one author who is really important to a lot of young girls was important to a lot of girls of my generation and yet had two books that a lot of guys uh, identified with this that's judy bloom mm-hmm. so i knew a lot of girls who who read like are you there god it's me margaret which i've never read and that but it was like a it was a seminal work for them it was like a, it was a mm-hmm. benchmark for them but two books of hers that I loved, and the first one uh, I absolutely loved, uh, adored when I was a kid and still do, was Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. And then there was Super Fudge. And I remember reading those pretty young, too. And then I would we would just go to the library every week as one of our special you know things in elementary school. And I was always checking out stuff that like – and sometimes I'd never get through it, but I was I was reading quite a bit. And I would go, I didn't live very far from our public library either. I could, it was one of the few places where I was allowed to go on my bike when I was a little kid. Cause it was down the block from my friend's house. And it was right around the block from our baseball field in the comic store. So I would go to the public library like all the time and check out whatever I wanted. So I was a voracious reader. I graduated to like the Hardy Boys books. Oh yeah. I read a lot of the Hardy Boys books when I was like in fourth, fifth, sixth grade. But YA with the exception of the stuff that I was assigned in school. So I was assigned the outsiders in eighth grade and, and some of the Steinbeck stuff that kind of falls under the YA title sometimes like the red pony and mm-hmm. of the pearl and stuff. Cause there were like novellas. I, I read that, but we were assigned those things. I don't think I ever really knew. I, I there was a shelf in the library but it was literally like a two shelf bookcase that was very small. It was back in 1988, 89, 90, 91. There really wasn't as much to speak of that wasn't some kind of like the red badge of courage type of novel mm-hmm. or the outsiders, or whatever, or wasn't like um, a book series that were 
um, not to not to not to go all traditional gender roles on people here, but that were really marketed to teenage girls or young or tween girls. Tween didn't exist when I was younger, by the way, as a, as a term either. Sweet Valley High and the Babysitter's Club, Club and those sorts of books. Like there was a lot more that could carry young women through into being readers of more serious literature than there was for guys when I was younger. However, I also was a huge, sorry, I am a huge nerd. And <gasps> Tom, you I almost know. made it seem like you grew out of it. Oh God, no, no. And uh, no, really I didn't. And, and I, and my public library had, I can picture it because I loved my public library and, and on the bottom in, in the, they had a kind of a, the, the bottom left, if I'm, I'm staring at the adult section, the bottom left, all the way kind of like in the catacombs of the library was this huge bookcase of shelves full of paperbacks. And it was all sci-fi. And it was all the Star Trek novels. So I read a lot of Expanded Universe Star Trek. And, and, and once the Star Wars, the Heir to the Empire came out when I was 13. So I read mm. the Thrawn trilogy. So And then I graduated to... Um, Believe it or not, I was reading Stephen King when I was in junior high school, so I really skipped over mm -hmm. YA. Now, how my parents didn't see me walking around with a copy of It at 13 years old and say, hey, that might be a little too mature for you, I don't know. They allowed me to read that book, but yeah, so so I was, I was uh, very much very much kind of skipped over it, and then I came back to it as a teacher and I will admit, and this is probably something we'll get into as far as, as attitudes and stuff, I will admit I was a little dismissive of it at first, you know? Mm -hmm. It seemed kind of like trash in a sense. And I was and, and and that was me being pretentious. And I've read quite a bit of it in the last five to ten years or so. And there's some of it that I would just didn't really enjoy. But I think that's anything, yeah. right? And there's some yeah. of it I absolutely loved. Yeah, I think it's good to have some healthy criticism with it. it. It was the people that dismissed it wholly out of hand that mm -hmm. you know I had problems with. Mm -hmm. So and if, yeah, of course we'll we'll talk about all of that. Yeah, that is interesting. I remember the, very vividly a moment where I was in the library and I think there was like a juvenile fiction yeah section, and I remember picking something up and of. This might shock you, Thomas, but I found a swear word or several <gasps> swear words. I can't remember. And then I went up to the <laughs> the circulation desk and I said, ma'am, there are some curse words in this book and it's in juvenile fiction. So, you know, that was <laughs> so I kind of self-censored myself, but I, that might have been a reason narc. why I stayed. <laughs> that might <laughs> Did you call me a narc? Yeah, I called you a narc. Yeah. I can't remember what the title of that was, but it was some mystery book. King Tut had something to do with it. Okay. I think it was like a group of teenage explorers. I'm sure I could find it if I really had it. It's always a group of teenage explorers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. I guess besides Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, uh, yeah, I wasn't really reading too much. I think once I got to middle school, I wasn't really reading as an extracurricular activity it was mostly mm -hmm. focused on stuff in the classroom and even in college, you know, it's so hard because you're just yeah. trying to keep up with your coursework. So I think yeah. it was really towards the tail end of college. And of course all of that, yeah, that, you know, the Rory Gilmore's 
list really helped me with that 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 there weren't really many if any young adult because rory was not reading young adult Mm -hmm. literature but again similar to you getting into teaching is when i got into the ya because i was wanting to read you know what the students were reading and they would be excited about something and uh and talk to me about it so it was nice to be able to engage in conversation with what they were liking and then also that meant something to them that you were interested in something or trying to you know engage with them and be interested in something that they were interested in yeah they um we just took our class down to the library a couple weeks ago to pick out novels for an independent read project and the librarians like do a whole kind of if you like this you'll be interested in this book and stuff like that and they do a great presentation because some of these kids some of the kids i teach don't read very much and then they don't realize that like wow this is a book we can read, like, you know, some of the storylines and things like that. And some of it's serious stuff, but it's just like some of them are like, wow, this is really interesting. And they get really into the topics and stuff. And I think that's a testament to how far young adult literature has come since it was a lot of just kind of book romance, kind of trashy, not trashy, but kind of dismissed outright as in that sort of condescending way. You know, you mentioned college, and you're you're totally right about that. You know, there was a point in in, in high school where I, w- I would read outside of of school, you know, and not just comics and graphic novels and trades, but um, you know, I was reading in, in paperbacks and things like that. But that stopped probably around like into junior into senior year because I was just overwhelmed with work. And then college, you're right, you're trying to keep up with all the reading. So when um, Harry Potter was at its height. I was not reading it and I've never read a Harry Potter novel because it was just, I was in college, you know, and, and I had no idea any of what any of this stuff was. And then they came out and I think the first half of the two thousands, the next book was coming out. The next book was coming out. I was just, wasn't interested either, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't read the Lord of the Rings until the first movie started came out because and I had always intended to read that one though. I had started the Hobbit at one point and it is, and put it down and never picked it up. And then I read through all four of them. So, but yeah, it's just it's sometimes it's availability and sometimes it's just availability of time. Mm-hmm. But I think that one of the questions I had and the reason I asked about accelerated or, or reading ahead was the question of how we balance reading level and age and navigating mature content at a young age. Because one of the as a parent, one of the things um, when Brett was younger that I had that we had to try to figure out was he was re- he is extremely smart and he is a, a very ahead of everybody else reader as well. And so he was reading at like a fifth or sixth grade level, like at, at a year, very young age, like me and my wife were when we were younger. So it got to the point where he was picking books out of the library because they were fun to read, but they weren't very challenging. So we were, we, so he was kind of approaching the YA reading level at a younger age and we were we were trying our best to once he had read through all of the um, Harry Potter books, we were trying our best to figure out, OK, what do you give to a kid who is not old enough to be reading like the Hunger Games or uh, or like a John Green novel? You know, like the mm. he's not ready. For, he's, you know, he's eight years old. He's not ready for or nine years old, he's not ready for the really mature stuff. And that's how we found like, I'm um, kind of that, what they now refer to sometimes as middle grades reading, which is kind of the in between, between children's and, and YA, which is that sort of late elementary, early middle school age 
And we found like Percy Jackson and the Olympians and, and the Rick Riordan novels and the other th- offshoots of that. But it's really, it, it can be really weird to navigate when you are, or you have a kid who is reading above their grade level. And then we come across very mature content. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. This is before I even start answering that question. Mm. I'm surprised that you distinguish a difference between Harry Potter and Hunger Games. I think the the fantastical and wizardry and all that nature of Harry Potter, especially from what I gather in the first few books where it's where it's not as harrowing as like the last few from what I've been told mm-hmm. that I've heard it gets kind of more mature as it goes. But, yeah, I mean, after, at the end of four Goblet, basically, yeah. now the tone has turned. But the Hunger Games right off the bat is I wouldn't give that to a seven year old. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the question, how do we navigate that or how do we? Yeah. Kind of how do like we navigate that? And, and, and you have a question here, like to what extent is the responsibility of adults to lead young adults toward or away from certain literature? You know, that sort of what, what is as a result as teachers, as parents, as whatever, what is our responsibility toward guiding kids toward reading this content, but also keeping in mind of what is appropriate for their level of maturity or age? Or is it even our job to do that? I think to a certain extent, we should protect children. And I say to a certain extent because they also, they can't be oblivious their entire lives. Uh But I think we do need to cherish their innocence, you know, while they have it. And maybe work up to some of the intense things like I wouldn't necessarily give a 13-year-old the hate you give. But at the same time, if you're reading the hate you give along with them, you can have some really good discussions. Because it's not like from zero, from the egg to 12, they're not dealing with any racial injustice. Actually, it's all over the place. It's only once you start engaging in that are they going to to realize that. I think we need to do a better job of reading along with them, Mm -hmm. whether you want to or not, or whether you like books or not, because if you give them, either if you pre-read and figure out, oh, this might be good for them, it might not be good for them, or if you decide to do it along with them and maybe accelerate a bit, you can have good conversations and you can get to, you know, once your child or whomever gets to a particular part, bring something up and, and walk through it with them. Yeah. So I think that we do have a responsibility, but if they want to engage with something that is difficult, I don't think think we should hold them back from it unless it's mm-hmm. something like really intense like I, I think it's pretty easy to be discerning like when I saw one of my sophomores I think my second year of teaching reading the girl with the dragon tattoo I was a <laughs> I was a bit concerned I had already read that and so I like brought it to her time was like Hey, you know, but I didn't say you shouldn't be reading. I was just like, hey, how are you dealing with that? You know, and I would check in and things like that without censoring or saying you can't read that. So I think it's a really fine line because you want, again, you want to protect them, but also we can't keep them in a bubble. And there's some stuff that they should be aware of so that they're not going around the world and, you know, not realizing that uh, black Americans, um, for whatever reason, are at a disadvantage or women are at a disadvantage, you know, like they should be reading some of that so that they understand that and then can live accordingly and and love accordingly. Yeah. And and I would add on that the 
content that tends to be provocative in the realm of what some would deem pornographic. You know, mm. if, if you read that, I think that yes. tends to get flagged the most. But again, I'm pretty much right in lockstep with what you're seeing here in that if you're censoring the kid, you are doing them a disservice and, and you know, uh, and you can read along with them. You can have conversations about stuff with them or, you know, I, I, I don't remember what specific book, but there are a couple of books here and there that Brett's had to, that's Brett's read. And, and, you know, I've been like, you know, if you have any, I've just said, if you have questions about anything, please tell me. So mm -hmm. it's just, it's just sometimes I think it's just leaving the door open for it, you know? Yeah. Because when you have a teenager, they don't necessarily want to talk to you about like their feelings about a particular book. They don't even want to do that in my class. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, you, as long as you're leaving that conversation open, you can say, okay, like, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what the topic is, or, or something like what you might understand or what might not you understand. And is there something I need to teach you about it? Mm -hmm. And there, you, go oh, ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, as a parent and also as a teacher, I suppose, do you feel like there are different levels of caution in regards to violence in literature versus sex and sexuality in literature you know this is what's weird to me because especially because as a kid i was reading things here and there that were sexually explicit at a much younger age than i think my own kid is cough cough it <laughs> it um the uh copies of certain magazines that friends of mine had oh, snuck you know <laughs> um but you know that sort of thing so but it yeah being one of them and then and and sometimes we would like my friends and i would like point out the dirty words in the books like oh, 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 this is what he says it's sort of like you know the way you used to look up dirty words in the dictionary in english mm -hmm. class but i don't know I, I seem to have a healthy you know, and, and my parents really never said anything. The violence had never been an issue. I was watching crazy violent things on in film and on television since I was young, right? Mm -hmm. And as a teacher, I've never really, the only reason I've ever shied away more from stuff that involves like very mature and very mature content in terms of sex rather than violence is because, and I think a lot of us are kind of almost it's almost like a reflex we have because that's what tends to get the parent complaint. And I think sometimes we teach, we try to, we, we, we get a little scared and, and crawl back into our shells about, about that. But with violence, there's so much, violence. everybody dies in high school literature. And what well, like, and apparently like one of my actually earlier this year, I did the, the, the lottery, the Shirley Jackson oh, story. Boy, yeah. And apparently one of the parents mentioned, mentioned offhand, um, how it was a really violent story. And, uh, and, um, I, we were, I was in a, a PLC meeting and I said, I just said, wait until they get to Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> so oh, the, the Odyssey. And the Odyssey, I mean, those have a body count. Oh, my you know? gosh. I mean, yeah, the everybody, scene. Yeah. yeah, everybody dies. And yeah. you're just like, okay, you know, like, and so what are we going to teach now? Puppy dogs and rainbows for the entire four years of high school. I'm about to start Beloved in AP English. Mm. That book is heavy. And that yeah. book, I even tell my students, hey, guys, before you even start reading, this book is graphic. And with Beloved, it's it's a reality of things. As, as much magical realism as Morrison uses, it's it's it was very much the thing she's 
she is showing in parts of that book happen. Mm-hmm. You know, so I personally don't really police sex and violence when it comes to things. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, in a way that's like policing, policing, you know, I'll, I'll make, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a conversation about it. I'll, you know, ask about stuff. And if it comes up, we'll talk about it, especially the, the sex with the violence. But I think, I think a lot of my colleagues are the same way where we say, you know, there's also a level of, of professional uh, self-preservation that goes into some of the books that we have and where there's sex. The other thing that people tend to get really up in a knot about is foul language. Mm. Like people didn't curse prior to 1990. It's just like it's weird how much they see because like the hate you give, for instance, has the F bomb all over it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, whatever, you know, the, I'm walking around the halls of my high school. I'm hearing that and worse. Right. So mm-hmm. and I'm like, OK, but I can't tell the parents like this is nothing worse than what they hear in the hallway because I'd probably get in trouble for saying that. But it is kind of like that's this, that, that's where my my frustration with parents comes in because they get very they 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 create this thing where like books in English class are somehow like separate in some way that there's like you know and 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 English teachers are guilty of this too and that's where they kind of do suck some of the joy out of it like because it's that assigned reading aspect of it or it's 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 reading as homework reading as a chore and we're going to read something that's uh, you know approved and when they get to something that does not that some every once in a while we have a curse word or something like that happen in English class work and they're like oh my gosh I'm like yeah you know <laughs> Wait until you get to the dirty jokes in Shakespeare, kids. You know, so yeah. yeah. So I mean, now with me, I'm in a public school. Yeah. We have a library that is very progressive in terms of what they decide to pick up. You know, they they don't really. I've been on on book review clubs and committees of books of saying, okay, we're going to read this book and we're going to re- recommend it or not recommend it to the board of education for. Um, the school board for uh, review of inclusion on a book list, because we are trying to diversify the books that are approved for high school and middle school. But I know that um, you taught at a private school, it's a private Christian school. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make the assumption that this that the that it's tougher with with more um, racy or material or curse words and things like that. I mean, what do you think? Is our Christian institutions in a tough spot when it comes to this? Are they, you know? Yeah, well, I think they are because then you have, even though I guess potential, <laughs> your mileage may vary on mm. the swears. You know I don't swear. And and that's just kind of, that's my own life yeah. choice. <laughs> But I, I think that potentially swear words are seen as maybe sinful. And so we're trying to keep that out of there, trying to keep any sort of risque activity out of there, trying to keep any sexual orientations that are not heterosexual <laughs> out of there. Yeah, so that's it's true. yeah, I mean basically you take the Bible and you take a piece of literature and see whether it aligns with biblical thinking. And if it doesn't, then it needs to be put aside and, and not put on the shelves. And so I get it. I get it. But at the same time, we are called to, you know, as Christians, to be in but not of the world so we're still apart we can't completely even though some people want us to we can't completely 
cut ourselves off from living mm-hmm. where we are. I think we also have this huge duty to lead people. If if our whole testament is to love, like we should be the leaders in that and trying to make everything better. And if we don't know what's going on in some of these stories that are taken from true life and true experiences, then we're again doing a disservice, I think, to, to some of these students. And, you know, unfortunately, my school, the librarian there was great. She no longer is there, but she really, she started a a young ladies book club. It was just a book club, but it was all, it was all female and really wanted to listen to their requests and also bring in some classics as well. And The Hate You Give was one of those that was on the potential chopping block and Mm. she had to fight for that. So she gave it to the, the head of the school and she read it and then they had a discussion about it and it was okayed. But, Mm -hmm. you know, some girls may not have been allowed to to read that potentially and sometimes she'll get books the librarian got books and didn't put it in the ya section but put it in another section things like that but yeah the problem is i think if it doesn't align with sort of the standard thinking of what should be then it's mm-hmm. like pushed aside or covered up and so the the school <laughs> i've been saying for this whole year probably the past two years that it needs a big shake up mm-hmm. um i think in terms of race especially and there's just some like weird political stuff going on there but i think that's <laughs> unfortunately what happens is like a christian school is not 100 percent christian just because of all the people that are in there so they just have some trouble so the hate you give might not have only been about the language and well i'll just say the language let's say the language was the big problem there was also some probably political stuff going on there because there's police brutality and people want to pretend that's not happening and then oh, yeah. racism and things like that so there's it's not just a pure you know i'm trying to protect my child it's like there's something else going on there i don't want my child to read this which is like very it's almost political even though that book and police brutality and and how we treat other people's i would say not a political issue but a human rights issue um but people yeah so i think christian institutions have the right to say that you know this is not in line with biblical teachings but i also think it's dangerous because once the the kids go out into the quote unquote real world now all of a sudden they're like they've burst through they're outside of this bubble and they had no idea what life was really like. Does that, that make sense? Yes, it, it's really good. And and so a couple of comments that I have, one one is kind of slightly snarky because as, as you were <laughs> talking about that, I was thinking of the people in my generation who I know were raised in fairly conservative houses and they were – and this is an if you know, you know from, from my generation – a lot of those girls were sneaking their uh, mom or grandma's copy of Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Oh, Andrews. Oh, my god! Oh, that is I – I know all about it but haven't read it. I never read it, but there are – there's a – just like they went from Judy Bloom to V.C. Andrews, and there's, there's people I know who are, who are just are nodding along. They're like, yep. <laughs> but seriously, though. Um, I guess one of my questions, because you're talking about like how certain Christ, certain Christians and, and swearing and stuff, which is kind of I had to chuckle because I was raised in, in New York and around a lot of Catholics and um, Irish Catholics and Italian Catholics. And, uh, you know, you 
want to hear the art of swearing. <laughs> the Italian Catholic mother. Oh, I mean, you got to remember where I come from. We use the F word as punctuation. I mean, so it's just kind of fun. <laughs> to have. But 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 to, for a more serious thing, does sure. it depend on the denomination or branch of Christianity where you would see this? I mean, I know in some Catholic schools and things like that, there is there's definitely more restriction on on reading, but not on the level that I've seen among like evangelical Christians things or Mormons and, and stuff. And I know I'm stereotyping generalizing, and there's there's varied degrees within those particular subsets of Christianity. But I was wondering if it depends on like it depends on where you are um, or, or what your what your uh, what your sect is for for lack of a better. Yeah, word. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Denomination. Yeah, I probably I, I yes, I think I remember there's I think it was like a Catholic school near Donovan that I don't know if it was Donovan's actual school that banned Harry Potter like became this whole mm. thing. And so we've got Harry Potter in the library at the school that I used to teach in. We had a Harry Potter day, though that got some flack. <laughs> so even though we allow, we condone Harry Potter, but we don't yeah. <laughs> push it forward in people's faces. Yeah. So And my school was non-denominational, so I think more might be allowed. Uh-huh. Um, especially, you know, I just don't, well, never mind. That's like a completely different topic. But anyway, yeah. so I think other ones that might have a specific denomination, things, their mission statement mm-hmm. or what their faith statement that parents may have to sign and faculty would definitely sign, maybe lay out things very specifically. So it really depends on the school, but I would say Yes, absolutely, about uh, that. And, you know, sometimes people, even though someone's a librarian, doesn't mean that they're necessarily up up on everything that's going down. So I think that also depends because things might slip through the cracks because the librarian doesn't know necessarily about the book or hasn't read it. But mm-hmm. our librarian, again, was really good. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I ran I, I ran into a couple of, uh, of people who I knew who were – who were really good librarians in that regard, and they they really do kind of do that as well. Um, and then the the thing about the entering the real world is interesting because there because I you know I went to I went to Loyola Maryland and you know there's there's a certain even when I was there about 25 years ago there was a certain amount of it was way more progressive than you would expect for say from say like. Um, uh, like Liberty University down in in Lynchburg, which is just Jerry effing Falwell. But but even then, there is a certain if you if you and I like I said I went to public school, so I didn't go to a private Catholic school. But if you went to a private Catholic school in the Northeast and you wanted to just continue that for four years and then graduate into the bubble from which you came, you could very well do that because there are colleges that will cater to that. And Loyola was one in a big way. And it's interesting how well you can avoid actually encountering the real world and mm-hmm. and just kind of stay in that. And we see that and we see a lot of that in our politics. And I, we're, we're going we're going like way off tangent here. So we'll, I'll, I'll kind of bring us back. But I think your point in that this really does expose you to things about the real world that you wouldn't necessarily know if you stayed in your bubble is mm-hmm. really, really apt. And, and you know, we touched upon this a little bit that there was at one point kind of a stigma against YA. It kind of fell into almost like the sub-genre or genre fiction type of thing that and and had that sort of 
condescending attitude of it from the literati that maybe romance sci-fi and horror would get and uh, you know like you know like if you went into any good you know good writing program at a college nobody would be called dead writing ya because oh you know you should be writing faulkner and reading hemingway and and you know so you know and, and writing writing wonderful books where your character is a metaphor for this and that and this and that and of course no one can write like that anymore and when they do they they come off as pretentious and unnecessary Mm -hmm. yeah but enough about the feedback from last episode um (laughs) yeah that stigma seems to have dropped and we have two questions so like Mm -hmm. there's ya that holds literary merit Mm -hmm. but there's also popcorn just like any other genre of fiction or nonfiction. So where do we draw that line? Where do we distinguish the literary merit from the popcorn? Um, something that comes from years ago when I got into a non, when I wrote a blog post about whether or not twilight had literary merit and then had to deal with freaking twihards in my comments talking about how dare I decide what has literary merit and why would you call twilight YA? What is YA? What's that category? I literally responded with that's the shelf it's on at Barnes and Noble. So that's the category I'm going with. Yeah. But yeah, so I got a lot of uh, defense of, of shiny, shiny vampires. So where do we, where do we, where do we draw that line? Oh boy. I don't know if I can draw a line and categorize within the category. Mm-hmm. I think as with everything, each book or novel or piece of literature is going to be what you make of it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the majority of ones that have been worthwhile for me that I have read are ones that are dealing with truths and real world struggles and the ones that I consider popcorn are the ones that, even though I love shipping and I love romance novels, are more like romance is the center of it. And the female characters are weak, in my opinion. <laughs> and I just can't get behind them. Like, those would be the, the popcorn ones. Like, mm-hmm. basically, girl A, maybe multiple guys. I don't know. The selection, that was something that I had to read because... I lost a bet with a student, and I'm just like, oh, this is awful. Or Twilight, you know, things like that, where can you have, you know, necessarily a good, deep discussion about it? Or if we go over to Everything, Everything, or we just did The Sun is Also a Star. Uh, We've mentioned multiple times The Hate You Give. I know you didn't care for it as much, but Mango Street. Mm -hmm. Are we looking at different types of people that have stories that are not our own? Can we have deep discussions about it that aren't just like, oh, why do you think Bella likes Edward? I think those are the ones that have merit, that strike out or evoke a conversation that we can have and also pull us out of whatever our life is, you know, that Mm -hmm. reading about somebody else, uh, evoking empathy potentially, teaching us something. Like, I mean, The Hate You Give, that taught me a great deal. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably one of the first maybe uh, pieces of literature that spoke to me in that way and that had such a powerful black story 
talking about police brutality and and what that actually looks like and and how affecting that is that was so and that was why a like it almost feels disingenuous to call it YA because it should be just across the board something that somebody should potentially read so mm-hmm. i guess that's where yeah how i would do it but it's hard it's hard unless you know like can you really look at it i don't think i could go up and be like look at a cover and and figure out or even from the book jacket i couldn't read a blurb and figure out whether this was going to be popcorn or not yeah yeah and at some level i think sometimes you can actually judge and see but i think you're right there and i think like putting why in a book like the hate you give is part of the sort of way that the ALA and Nelson people have uh, categorized things. But I also think it's going to sell. You know, yeah. your categories are you, – the, the, the stuff is, is stacked in the bookshelf – on the bookstore shelves that way, and your character is, is a teenager. So let's yeah. market to that group, and, and that's what YA is too. So let's not forget that a lot of times these categories exist not just for whatever awards or whatever the American Library Association wants to and wherever <laughs> they're shelved at the library. Mm-hmm. But that Barnes and Noble, for instance, or your local, you know, New Dominion or wherever our local shops are, they're going to put it there because that's where the kids are going to look for it, right? So yeah. it's it's also a sales tactic. Um, yeah, I think you're right, and there's a staying power to the stuff that is literary merit because you can keep going back to it and getting more and more out of it. Popcorn stuff is fun. Mm-hmm. Some of it is cr- very very disposable. Yeah. Um, and you re- read it once and you give that book away and sometimes you come back to it because it's just kind of entertaining and that sort of like the same way a blockbuster movie with really not that much depth to it is. Yeah. Um, I guess the thing and it's but the thing is and the thing is the th- third question here that we have listed is really do we really have to care? I mean, you would I mean, as a teacher, there, sometimes with some of the novels that are a little bit lighter on 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 substance over style or whatever. Um, I would, if, if there was an objective of study and that book really wasn't going to fulfill that objective, mm-hmm. I might avoid it. Like, you know, in other words, that book isn't deep enough to really get where we need to go with what we're looking at. That's where I would kind of draw a line there as a teacher, you know, like, hey, I need something more complex. But do we even really care about whether or not a, a YA book holds literary merit, I mean, is is that just taking is that just making the mistake that that adult literature is made with this pretentious literary fiction mm-hmm. category? Yeah, I think we all. I, I think it's a yes or and no question. So uh, or yeah. So I'll say that no. First of all, because if kids, young adults are reading, I think that's amazing. Like I always, if I see students read because the majority of them don't like to read, which is unfortunate. And so when I see them reading other books, I always like really make a point of being, you know, talking to them and like, man, that's great that you're reading books. And when I talk to their parents, like, oh, it's so good to see them reading books. I really try to hype it up. So I, I think that if they're reading to a certain extent, it shouldn't matter what they're reading. I do think we should care if that's the only thing they're reading because, you know, with popcorn, I was thinking about comics. Like, you know, we do like our, I'll just throw out, like, we like our Watchmen, you know. But mm-hmm. also maybe we want our Amazing Spider-Man too. Like, we always, we don't yeah. always need to be in these, like, heavy stuff, <laughs> but we also shouldn't just be looking at these superficial things. So I would yeah. be a little concerned For example, if I saw a young woman and she was only reading things that 
were romance-based and the females weren't, you know, they were kind of shallow and everything, then I would be concerned because I would wonder what sort of message is this young woman getting from this, both, mm-hmm. like, romantically and, and what she should be looking in a boy, and then also models for how to be a woman, you know, and what mm-hmm. what strength in that role there should be. So that's the only time I would say, like, yes, we should care. But I think, like all of us, you and me, Tom, we need some time, some lighter stuff to get by because life is hard. The world is tough right now. <laughs> so it is nice to, to delve in and, and have those lighter tales, but not always, I think. Yeah, and, and I'm always – you see, I was always the type of person – yeah, I might go on kind of streaks with certain genres or certain types of books, but I'm always like all over the place with what I would – I'm interested in everything. So I'll read a lot of nonfiction. I'll read fiction. I'll read – you know, and my pull list at the comic store, there's everything from very serious stuff to like the latest Nightwing, <laughs> which is yeah fun, fun as yep. anything, and that's why I'm reading it. And and the other thing is like, you know, you know, we have a question about can we trust young adults to decide for themselves what's worthwhile and what's not? And I think we can because they've been mm-hmm. doing it with other with they've been doing with other media for, for decades, why not books? Um I would always I would always just if I have to give a kind of the advice, it would be don't get yourself don't always stick to one type of book or one genre or one author. Like if all you're ever reading is like fantasy, right? Yeah. Or all you're ever it's just kind of it's kind of like music or anything like branch out mm-hmm. among the genres like, you know, I read some horror sometimes and then I read like I've, I, I enjoyed the sun is also a star, for instance, which is mm-hmm. romance and romance is not like my huge romance isn't really necessarily my bag. <laughs> um, you know, but I've read some John of John Green stuff, yeah. you know, and, and but I've, then I've, you know, and then I've got um, I'm reading uh currently the beginning of, an, of yet another book about racial justice or injustice, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. So there's a lot out there and I, I'm always like diversify your selections and don't be afraid to read stuff that is a doesn't seem interesting to you mm-hmm. or don't be afraid to just pick up something you're kind of curious about. Like there's no, there's no, there we need to, the thing we need to do is just remove the pretense of like getting caught looking at something or reading something as if, as if it's like, um, somehow going to lose you cool points or something. Cause it's my gender. That's that. Like I was just talking to somebody about that on, on Twitter the other day. I think it was Jonathan Schaefer Hames. Like he was mentioning how, you know, we were a part of a nineties generation of teenagers that was like trying to out cool one another with like our weird cred stuff. And so, you know, I, and so when it, and even when it came to books, like, you know, the stuff that you read and stuff like, I, you know, being around people are pretentious is exhausting, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, so what if I want to read, you know, Stephen King, you know, stuff like yeah. that, which is not always, there's some really good Stephen King that is really, you know, but then there's some real, real crap. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, so I think, but I think we can trust them. And I, I, yeah. I'd love to engage students more in discussions about like the, some of the reading I do every once in a while. Yeah, I think it's, man, all these answers from me are like, it's such a line. It's a fine line between blank and blank. Yeah. Because, yeah, they're they're autonomous human beings, and I think that they should choose what they want to read and everything, uh, as long as, you know, still keeping cautious around them. But also, I think it's good to have 
expectations and higher expectations and yeah. push them towards something. So again, if I were to see someone, I think in particular, I probably look towards you know the young women. Just if I saw someone reading the same stuff all the time, I think mm-hmm. I would maybe engage in a conversation and maybe recommend something that still had a female character, but maybe a strong, like a different type of model or something like that. But yeah, you want people just like we did. I'm sure we figured out what we liked to read. We came into our own. And so you don't want to all just like assign yourself. That's not the right word, but basically take their agency away from yeah. becoming their own human being. Like you yeah. have to be really cautious with that. I think push, hold them to high standards, but also let them become their own self. Yeah. And speaking of, of um, taking books away from them, <gasps> banning and challenging books is a thing. And um, so, and, and we bring this up and this could be its whole other episode. And I did do a banned books week episode of pop culture affidavit years ago, and I'll link to it in the show notes, but we could always come back to this topic. And the reason I brought it up is that um, when we were recording this in early October, we had just finished actually national banned and challenge books weeks, book weeks. Now there is a difference between a challenge to a book and a ban and a challenge to a book is when a book is, uh, you know, some, some enraged parent goes before the school board or the teacher or whatever says, I don't want my kid reading this filth. And then, um, and then the teacher says, all right, well, here's an alternative assignment. Well, then I don't want my, any kid reading this filth, you know, they should be reading about Jesus. Um, so, so basically they, they challenge, they go before the school where they said, get this out of the schools and that's a challenge. Now a ban is when it's upheld, you know? And so, um, the most top 10 most challenged books of 2020, many of them are young adult or middle grade children book, children's books. So, um, this is from 2020 of the 273 books that were targeted for challenges Mm-hmm. These were the top ten. Number, uh, and I'll go ten to one. Ten was the hate you give, and it was thought to promote an anti-police message. Nine is not a young adult novel. It's the bluest eye, which we covered. Eight gets covered a lot in high schools. I don't know if of mice and men could be considered YA, but but it does get a lot yeah, of high school. That's suspicious. Yeah. Ban and challenge for racial slurs and racist stereotypes and their negative effect on students. Number seven, to kill a mockingbird. Ban and challenged for racial slurs and their negative effect on students, featuring a, quote, white savior character and its perception of the black experience. Number six, something happened in our town, a child's story about racist, racial and injustice by Marianne Solano, Marietta Collins, and Anne Hazard, illustrated by Jennifer Zivion. And I apologize if I'm messing up those names. Now, challenged for, quote, divisive language and because it was thought to promote anti-police views. I'm seeing a pattern. Number five, the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian by Sherman Alexi, which at one point was number one on this list. Banned and challenged for profanity, sexual references, and allegations of sexual misconduct by the author. Yeah, Sherman Alexie is, um, is is a pig. Number four, a book that I actually, I think we will cover this book at some point because I, I really enjoyed this book um, for what it, how well you could enjoy it. But that's Speak by Laurie Halsa Anderson. I believe there's a, a sequel to it as well, a shout or something. Uh, banned, challenged, and restricted because it was thought to contain a political viewpoint that was claimed to be oh, biased against male students. What? <laughs> and for the novel's inclusion of rape and profanity. Oh, boy. Now, you know I don't 
this is something I think we're still supposed to talk about on your show. I don't like it when rape is in stories. Yeah. But this book is about that. That's the central plot. Yeah, it's the central plot point. Yeah. That's, that's where that's where I'm like, okay, it makes. If you took it out, would the whole book change? Yeah. 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 Okay. All of number three, All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kylie, which is really good, by the way. I read that. Um, it's about um, a, an incident involving a, a, a police officer and a black uh, young man, and it is told from the point of view of the black man and then another kid at the high school who is the relative of the cop. And it's it's really really good. It has these two almost like competing viewpoints. All American Boys banned and challenged for profanity, drug use, alcoholism, and because it was thought to promote anti-police views. Contain divisive topics and be too much of a sensitive matter right now. Yeah. What I was just talking about, the uh, claims that the book collected, contains selected storytelling incidents and does not encompass racism against all people is stamped racism, anti-racism in you by Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds. Um, that's the young adult version of stamped from the beginning. Um, and then number one is George by Alex Gino, which was is about a transgendered boy. I believe, um, and uh, is challenged. I've never read it, so that's why I was kind of like questioning whether or not I was. I didn't want to misgender the main character, but challenge, ban, and restricted for LGBTQIA plus content, conflicting with a religious viewpoint, and not reflecting quote the values of our community. Yikes! So, couple comments right off the bat. Yeah. First of all, I've never heard of a book being challenged because of negative effects on female students. So that was interesting. How the male students all of a sudden get oh, all yeah. that? Well, that that's that is a that is a misogynist version of what To Killing Mocking To Kill a Mockingbird used to be challenged and banned for, which was that people thought it was anti-white. I see. It's it's that thing. It's like yeah. it's like you're you're making boys feel bad because you know, the boy in this should rapes this girl, and you're like, well, the boy in this, you know, like, what do you want? Like, <laughs> yeah, the anti. Well, let's see. I've got two things: the anti-police, and then the things that kept popping up of pu- pu- public statements. First of all, someone's that's really misleading because somebody's public statement could be like our former president saying something really poor against women. We all know what I'm thinking about versus probably Ibram X. Kendi just talking about anti-racism. And that's what people are upset about. So well, that's really yeah. interesting. So, about that, so that's statements. the, he's a controversial figure is what yeah. it's, it's like, well, anybody can be, you, you, you people made tried to make Barack Obama a controversial figure, yeah. you know, yeah. And and Kendi Kendi definitely is pushing at norms of thinking in a very good way. I mean, I don't know. You've read Stamped from the beginning, right? Yes. Did you read Stamped as well? No, I'm confused. We talked about this, I think, off air. Uh-huh. I'm confused. Is is Stamped this one that we're talking about here? Yeah. Is it the same thing? It's, it's still same, nonfiction, it, historical going through, but I don't know like it, what's changed exactly. It's the same, essentially the same book, but what he and Jason Reynolds did was broke it down for a younger audience. I see. And then he did the same for kids. Gotcha. And so it's essentially the same. So it's almost like once you finish that and then you'll graduate to the because Stand from the Beginning is a, is a massive work you know it is it is a huge book and and stamped is maybe 
two, 300 pages. So it's definitely meant for a younger audience. Um, and so that they can, you know, so you can get that message across and you can study aspects of American history. Um, and, and, and what I hope is that you read that and then you want to learn a little bit more and more detail about. And I think that I personally, before I, before I stop commandeering this is, um, I think the, one of the beauties of that book and to a is that you can have a con and and stamp from the beginning as well but stamp you can have a conversation with the book yeah that because there are things about his mostly his writing style here and there where i'm like i, I was i not that i was like offended by anything or disagreed with anything but i but i found myself like wanting to look into that topic more because I was like, because I was like, it seems like there's a little more to this than what you're saying. And I'd love to learn more. And then that's the kind of really good conversation you can have with a book like that. Because I think yeah. he, he's very certain of what he's getting across, but I don't think he is dogmatic about it. I don't know if that's the, I don't think that's the right word. I don't think he's, he thinks he's the be all, be all and end all of this, you know? And I think no, I other scholars, white scholars think that. Yeah. And I don't think you should treat him, even though I really like him, I don't think you oh, should yeah, like treat the, him as such. Yeah. A lot of these, I do have a question about five, so just remember sure, sure. that one. But a lot of these, I'll just break it down to you. It's what I would like to call, and what has been called, white fragility. Mm-hmm. Because it's basically people reading them and becoming uncomfortable with the topics. And then assigning something that it's, well, basically saying it's bad. I mean, that one, it sums it up, that says uh, too much of a sensitive matter right now. When is it not going to be a sensitive matter? You it, have to address it as it's happening. You know, you you a few weeks, months ago reviewed a Batman comic where there was a police... Orpheus Rising. Orpheus Rising, thank you. Yeah. There was a police brutality, and I wrote in, because it was, what, nine, it was 2000, I think, 2000, 2001 when that yeah. came out. I, yeah, so I remember. I wrote in pointing out that it's very likely the author was taking from either the Avenue Luima or Amadou Diallo brutality incidents, in which Diallo was shot 41 times. Mm. And that was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I believe 30 years ago this year, we had the really first viral police beating video of the, of the more recent era of the Rodney King traffic mm-hmm. stop. So when is it not a sensitive matter? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, I know it's hard to read, but I also feel like it needs to be shown somewhere or else people are just going to be like, everything's wonderful here. There aren't these bad things happening. Well, so, and I, I and the, th- the reason I wanted to bring up the banned books thing was because, it's this whole thing of protecting children from something right now you ask certain people in this country and I'm not teaching I'm indoctrinating like I'm freaking Vladimir Lenin standing up and shouting the communist manifesto at my class every day or something and there's this whole idea that these children are precious and we don't want to warp their minds and it's like dude they're teenagers Mm-hmm. Have you met a teenager <laughs> like, you know, again, but at the same time, it's this whole preciousness and this whole idea that I, it's it's about control and it's about this really weird notion that some people like this have that they can contr- that they'll be able to control their who their teens become as an adult as adults and they need to be able to do that. And 
Therefore, what they read, see, watch, and listen to needs to be policed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's a religious thing, like it's an evangelical thing. I don't know if it's just a conservative thing or what, but it's it's frustrating. And I know and, and personally, I'm sure that we both know a number of people who grew up in households like that. And the moment they saw the, the opening, they ran. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know what? I'm going to read all the crap you told me I couldn't read. I'm going to watch all the crap you told me I couldn't watch. And guess what? You know, like, here's my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, I think it's, it does a this huge disservice to the children and the, and the teenagers that they try to keep these things from. Unfortunately. Mm. The last thing is this number five, the absolute diary. true diary of a part-time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking specifically about sexual misconduct by the author and to what extent do we – we've had this discussion, I think, mm-hmm. but do we separate the author from the work? So I don't know if this is even worthwhile, but, you know, I'm thinking, well, Harry Potter's not being challenged because Rowling is a turf. So I don't know. Like, is that just an easy way to do it? Should we – could we say – I mean, Hemingway was, a, as far as I'm concerned, oh, a terrible a human pig. being. But we're still – yeah, we're yeah. still reading him. So I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I am not for the, uh, I'm, you know, there, there's a certain level of, of Hitler where I'm like, I really can't bear this person's work being in a public school library. You know, I, I don't want to read anything by Sherman Alexie because of that, but that's my personal choice. Mm-hmm. Um, the absolute diary of part-time Indian I have read before I read it before all this happened, came out too late. It's a very good book. And it's a shame that, you know, it sucks that that happened. But there are a number. Yeah, it, it, it's, a t- it's a tough nut to crack. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, um, there are certain filmmakers and things that I, I refuse to see because I'm like, no, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to indulge that. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't think I just think maybe I can draw the line where it's if it's my personal choice, it should be your personal choice. Yeah. I never really had an interest in Harry Potter. I certainly really don't very much now mm-hmm. but then again i'm one of the people who's least likely to point those things out to people you know but chide them for for their selections like you know blah 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 mm-hmm. but at the same time you know we can have that conversation because we were to for instance the other day i'm doing poetry right and so we we're talking about uh, short form poetry we we're talking about a haiku which is the favorite of a high school student they love japanese nature poetry it has nothing to do with the, the fact that it's short yeah. um but we we're talking about the imagists right Evis Pound and William Carlos Williams. Now, I did two William Carlos Williams poems because I absolutely love them. But I had to do an Ezra Pound poem because it's you can't talk about that movement of modernism and, and imagism without mentioning him. Unfortunately, he was supporting Mussolini. And I brought that up. I was like, yeah, but guys, unfortunately, and then I went, ooh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so we kind of made a joke and then we read like one poem i said but unfortunately you have to acknowledge the influence that people they they had on people yeah. you know like you have to acknowledge the influence of the fact that even this person had pretty abhorrent political beliefs their work had the influence so it, you can't wash away that particular thing but you mm-hmm. do you do kind of you 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 provide the context and that's what i usually do yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a it's it's a whole other topic. <laughs> this is where we're talking about that. Yeah. 
But we are going to get into some books. I can't believe it. We have we. I found that there was a. I think I can't remember if you sent it to me or if I sent it to you or what. But Time, the magazine, um, Time did a list of uh, the their top 100 best young adult books. They did it back in 2015, and they did it again. And they also have kind of a how we chose the best YA books of all time. Um, so it's one of those great little lists that you can argue with. I think what they did was they have like a whole thing. I'm just kind of skimming through it. They talk about like, you know, how their books in their formative years and they, they had a panel together, et cetera. And uh, they said that they, six years ago in 2015, they did it. They didn't know that the the category would drastically change in terms of who it represents or what it represents, who it serves and whose voice it centers. And uh, there have been some very good movements in the, uh, in the realm of getting kids to read books by different authors, authors of color, queer authors, more women authors, in addition to um, having more representation among the characters, right? You know, so Mm -hmm. that you have black and brown queer protagonists and things like that. It's not all just white men, white boys, you know, or white girls. So they did. They asked those questions. Um, Just as one thread of political discourse in the U.S. began to more explicitly acknowledge groups long marginalized and disenfranchised by everything from policy to pop culture, the success of these books pushed many publishers, educators, parents, and readers to think critically about what they had long considered staples of YA literature, the books they forever told kids would would help them understand the world. What were the underlying messages of those books? Who were they written for and whose voices did they leave out? So they, when you look at the first, the 2015 book book list, first of all, and I'm not going to pull it up, but one of the things I noticed that there's like children's books on there, like Charlotte's web was on there. So they further separated uh, the books. They had like, um, they further separated the books going into 2021 and then there's a bunch of books that are on there um, that are, and they do. I think they didn't even go uh, 100 to one. They just went chronologically by publication, which is good. They didn't. They didn't feel the need to rank them because you don't really. But it's a really good. It's a really good list to at least look through. And, and we listed the ones that we had read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you've you've read more than uh, I think we we're pretty close. I, I think, think so. I, it might just be because yeah. I, I did bullet points. Yeah. I added a question that came to me. You did add a question that came to you, and and why don't you ask that question? Yeah, my question was with this 100, because especially because Tom had sent the... I think maybe I asked a question we were going to record last week, Yeah. and this storm, like this crazy storm happened, there was hail, and then the internet was just wacky, so we couldn't have a good conversation. But I think I had mentioned, like, how did it change? How did this list of, what was it, 2021? Mm-hmm. 2020? 20 is 2021. Yeah, how did it change from the previous one? Mm-hmm. And so he had found, I guess, was it in 2015? Maybe? Yeah. And so I'm looking at it, and it seems drastically different. It does. And I appreciate many of these diverse and inclusive titles that they have included in the 2021 version, but I wondered if perhaps they're doing us a disservice by limiting it to 100 because they took off things that should still be on there that weren't controversial, like definitely drop the controversial ones. But when you limit it, you have taken off rather than added 
and so basically they replaced some classics mm. I think that should still be on there or not. So do you think I mean that 100 kind of uh, hedged us in or do you think it's okay that we get rid of the old and bring in the new were there ones from 2015 that you kind of mourn the loss of I, i'd certainly noticed some omissions and i was curious as to whether or not with the um with the selections that start within the last five to ten years are they overcorrecting? In some regard, now a lot of the books that are on there that I've heard of or read myself, I've been like, oh yeah, I can see that why that book is on here. But um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to argue with inclusion list, but I think that I think that it could be longer. You know, like the like honestly, the Outsiders isn't on this list, and I'm like, why is that not on this list? It's yeah. still it's still it really is still one of the best young adult books of all time. It is a it is a piece that a lot of students still connect to. And not just white boys, by the way, you know, mm-hmm. like boys really do connect to it. Like I've got boys like everybody who read it in junior high school or, or middle school. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. The whole thing with the gangs and everything like they totally get that. And they totally really like it. And it connects and they connect. They, con- they connect with the book on a lot of different levels. And, and so I'm like to take that off because I don't know. I don't know why. Um, but there are other books on here where I'm like, OK, I can see that. So yeah, I think I think it's I think it is a little too limiting. I think you could think of another fifty to hundred. That would be a great follow up list. Like they should do another list. Like here's a hundred more, right? Yeah. Because this is just not enough, you know. Or like two separate generations or something. Yeah, or something. Because I I agree with you about the autocorrection, and I'm speaking completely uninformedly. <laughs> However, because there were so many on the 2021 list that I hadn't heard of. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at the dust jacket, or I'm looking at the title, and I'm like, okay, so this is basically no, this is a POC story. I didn't see many queer stories. There was one that popped up from a Puerto Rican queer author, mm-hmm. I think it was. So I feel like, okay, so there's you know at least one. But I just wonder, like, are we just looking for those stories, or are we looking for those stories and? So I, I do wonder, and the only real way to decide whether something's on there is for me to, to go out and, and read it. But, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it, it got rid of some things. I'm curious, since then, The Dog in the Nighttime was on the 2015 list. Yeah, that should be on there. And it's not on this one. And I don't know if there was any representation of a, dip, dip, a character that is differently abled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Narnia wasn't on there. And, well, you know, Christians deserve representation, <laughs> too. Okay. So <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah. but that's also even if you take away the the Christian allegory, that's that's a classic YA or or middle grades book. So yeah. it's just interesting that yeah they cut some out and and replaced rather than added. I think that's what I would like yeah. to have done. Um, yeah. So uh, the one one book I have read, uh, the Fifty Seven Bus, is a is also a, a by a queer. Or about a queer character, about transgender oh, character. It's just, it, and, and the, it's, um, but the other thing I, I have noticed, and I think which is also helpful, is that in in the in the direction of um, including characters of color and including characters who are minority, not all of these are about tragedy within the within the story. Like there are characters of color who who have just they're essentially like love stories yes they struggle but like not everyone has you know they're not all the hate you give 
Yeah. I have nothing against the hate you give. I'm just saying, like, you know, because there is a I have read in the last four or five years a number of books of, for just kind of putting lit circles together and stuff in, in ninth grade English. A number of books where a, a young black man or black woman is shot by a police officer. Mm. And now that is a horrible, horrific reality of our world today. So it makes total sense that authors would be writing about it. But it's almost become its own subgenre within what young adult literature. And some of the books are really, really good. And some of them are a little bit kind of ham fisted in the way they get things across. But yeah, so it's just kind of it's, it's, it's encouraging to me that when I'm looking at a book like The Fire with the Fire on High or The Poet X, which, um, you know, have like family struggles in them. But they're about, you know, the, the author's Puerto Rican and they're both about um, I think she's Puerto Rican and the they're both about, uh, you know, a young Latina girl who is um, struggling in some way or another and, and, and is falls in love with somebody. And, and it's just it's a really nice story that that is really well told. And we don't necessarily have to always have the, you know, deep tragedy that happens with it, you know. So and so there's a little bit of progress there. Like, you know, you you have some more positive even within the struggle, you have some more positive portrayals and it's not all death and tragedy, but we still acknowledge the death and tragedy. So, yeah. But, yeah, so we had um, we are going to talk a little bit about the books that were on the list that we've read. Mm-hmm. Um, books that aren't on the list that shouldn't be. I had written down The Outsiders. I put a question mark next to Eleanor Park. I'm kind of thinking that would be on like a secondary 100 list because there are, are other books that are very much like Eleanor Park, like The Sun is Also a Star, for instance, that mm-hmm. fulfill that romance thing. I think uh, I got to scroll up. I'm pretty sure The Fault in Our Stars is on here. John Green, yeah, The Fall of Our Stars is on here, and I think that's the only John Green novel. I probably replaced that with a different novel of his. Sick lit. What do you think about sick lit? What's that? Sick literature, where somebody's dying. Oh, 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 oh. What do you think about it? That can get maudlin. Yeah. Is that a genre or a category within a category? I think it's like a subgenre, yeah. Okay. I I know what you're talking about, because there's adult stuff like that. You know, the sick, the dying person movie, that can get maudlin really easily. I thought The Fault in Our Stars was good. I li- I think Paper Towns remains my favorite of his novels. I really enjoyed Looking for Alaska as well. But um, but The Fault in Our Stars was like, yeah, this is okay. But everything was a little too clever. I don't know. It just it didn't hit for me. But I still enjoyed it. Um, and then you mentioned The um, Curious Incident, Narnia, J- Jane Eyre. Stella, really? Really? Well, here's the thing. Now, it is a bit of a troll lane, of course. <laughs> And to, you know, to the call shamelessly the promote the fact that I've got a, a podcast coming out in October called Dear Reader, a Jane Eyre podcast. But honestly, if YA is about actual young adults growing up, then shouldn't there be some classic classics like Oliver Twist or Jane Eyre? I mean, Jane Eyre, a quarter of the, well, probably less than that, but you've got a bit of her as a child. You have a substantial amount of it as 18 Oliver Twist is a growing tale. So, I mean, what do you think about that? You would uh, you would tell them to read Dickens. We want them to read. I know. We don't want to turn them off. So then that gets to that's that question I also added about language in terms of difficulty. Does that have anything to do with what we determine as YA? Because people, I, like I said an hour ago, people don't write like this anymore. I'm currently reading in a reimagining of Jane Eyre where she's in space. And I'm like, wow, this language is not Charlotte Bronte. So I wonder if that's also 
a, a determinant in I, in YA. I think I think it is. I think that the, the students the students and the teenagers are going to speak out stuff that act literally speaks to them, and um, and the reading level is part of it. The 19th century English literature has almost like a totally different feel to it, or even almost a different dialect to it that they need to decipher. And they might find that too difficult. So it doesn't necessarily get shelved with YA because it's not of that kind of not of that nature, so Mm -hmm. to speak. I mean, I don't I don't like I don't like assigning those books. If I'm being completely honest, I don't like, I don't like, I don't feel I, 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 there are certain classics I absolutely love to assign. I love to assign Frankenstein and I love because there's so much it applies to. And there are, you know, there, there are parts of, of Homer that I enjoy assigning and discussing and there's Shakespeare and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't eschew the classics. I don't throw the baby out with the Uh bathwater, but when I know that this that this is going to get more complaints out of it, or the students are going to have a harder time decoding what is going on, <laughs> then they are going to be able to analyze it. I don't find that to be worth their time. But man, but what about grit? Shouldn't we be? I can do. But should they be trying hard but, things? But I can challenge my students to dig deeper and try harder on something. Yeah. But if they're not comprehending it, I'm talking on a basic bottom of Bloom's taxonomy comprehension level. If they're they're going to reject that quicker than any grit, then I think and they're going to answer the question from earlier. Yeah, they're going to end up feeling stupid. So it is your responsibility to lead young adults towards or away certain literature. On some level, yeah, but I mean, it's it's there's a there's a leading, but it's but I'm not gonna gatekeep. If you want to read Thomas Hardy in high school, read Thomas <gasps> Hardy in high school. I'm not certainly not gonna assign it to you. Why would you say his name? <sighs> Martha. Um, <laughs> but. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I'm leading that. But but I'm doing it for the objective of, of what we're trying to learn in terms of the curriculum sure. of the chorus. So anyway, books that we were surprised are on the list. I was surprised that Persepolis and March are on this list. March, I can kind of see. I think it is written for a slightly like a, almost like a high school audience where it would be a book that you would read in history class. Persepolis, I'm a little torn on being on there. I didn't I know ne- that never struck me as a young adult thing. No, Although young adults I certainly mean, could read it. I could see somebody in high school reading it. Yeah. Unless we're just getting to the fact that it is her growing up. Yeah, we, maybe. Especially book one specifically. I don't know if they specified. Mm-hmm. But book one is when she's a child. But there's, well, there's a lot of background you kind of have to go into with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas March, I think people can jump into that because hopefully they know that, that history. Because it's our history. But with the the Middle East, you kind of have to do some. Yeah, you have to do you have to knock down some stereotypes too. We talked about that in our episode. For sure. You know. Yeah. Now I think you had. Now we talked about stamped, and you had code. I think you wrote down code name Verity and a tree grows in Brooklyn. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, and don't skip over Lightning Thief because I was confused why you put that on there. But code name Verity. I mean, reading level, I guess. I listened to it on audiobook, which I recommend because they have two good actresses playing mm-hmm. the different characters. But these are both women in World War II, so I feel like they're beyond the juvenile age. Mm. And 
I don't know. I just didn't get a YA feel about it whatsoever. This wasn't like the the book thief or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were both pilots in the what is it the the blank Air Force the uh, oh, the the Royal Air Force. Royal Air Force yeah yeah. So I was just a bit baffled. Okay. About that. And then Tree Grows in Brooklyn. It's been years. I remember reading that when I was in the A school, probably mm. third year in A school, architecture school. And that is, yes, it kind of follows a young girl, but it's more like the family dynamics. Okay. And I think language doesn't align. Again, if you're not putting Jane Eyre there, I don't know why you put Tree Grows in Brooklyn. So I think language doesn't really align. Maybe the storytelling. Okay. But that, I felt like maybe they were just like trying to throw out some. Like, we need some classics on here, not all modern. What about Tree Grows in Brooklyn? Po- so. Possibly. Was it like a coming-of-age thing, I guess? That's, I guess, but sense... I feel like she doesn't grow up. The little girl, I think, remains generally the same age. It's been a while since I read it. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. it didn't feel... Like, when I was reading it, yeah. I thought, well, it was not an easy read. Like, so. would it line up with something on the order of Forever? The Judy Bloom novel, or either God is Mar- oh, me, Margaret. Is is that what is that what they're going for? I'm just Ooh, kind of because those are both on know. that list. I've never read them, but yeah, but this I feel like what this family deals with is different than what Judy Bloom has. Okay, what Judy Bloom yeah. is consistently. Yeah. I I only put down the Lightning Thief because I thought it might be too young for what they're talking about with Wyatt. Oh, it's kind of on the lower okay. end of it, and I think, like I said, sometimes they separate them out by middle. They call middle grades, uh-huh. um, and maybe it's because Brett read it when he was a lot younger than middle school. So I think it probably does qualify, but it's way at the lower end of things as opposed to say, The Fault in Our Stars, you know, which is which is a little bit higher up on that thing, or or you know stuff like that. So we also went through the list and we each bulleted out. Um, the books that we've read mm-hmm. we'll kind of lightning round uh, this and stuff like that because we have things especially we're going to overlap here so um, you've read Little Women yes I don't know I've never read it honestly. yeah I think a, a YA before that category existed potentially but yeah, yeah I think that's great it's got depth to it it's not a popcorn mm-hmm. family dynamics uh, it's all about yeah these young ladies growing up and uh they're met with tragedy and it's also timeless even though it's technically set during the civil war the civil war doesn't really impress upon them much except for you know the father and everything so Uh it's something that i think young women can relate to and they could potentially see themselves in any of those characters and joe of course is a full-on feminist so it's always good to, to have those sorts of characters as well yeah, the that was a popular one for girls when I was there. I remember a lot of them reading it when we were in like the fifth grade or sixth grade or so. Um, you just mentioned a tree goes in Brooklyn. Now we have mm-hmm. both read the Diary of Anne Frank. Now I have not read the Diary of Anne Frank in like thirty years, so it's been a long time. I actually have a copy um, in the pile of books that's right in front of me. I remember enjoying it, but I can't tell you what it was. And I think we talked about Night. I certainly thought that Night was the better book. Yeah, uh, we were talking about the not Nazi Germany, et cetera, et cetera. You said that. You, I mean, maybe we'll we'll get to this book in our in our travels here. But um, you said that you have some issues with Anne as a reliable narrator. Yeah, I think that's what you said. Yeah. Yeah, I don't care for her, I guess, as a character. I just almost find her 
this is so controversial, I know, but I just find her like an annoying girl and uh, just she's complaining a lot and I can totally get like given their circumstances the complaints and everything uh-huh. but I don't know where the 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 thankfulness and the graciousness plays in of you mm-hmm. know that they're still alive and yeah so it's just hard for me to like get on board behind Anne but literally like looking at its merit I totally yeah I'm yeah. totally behind it it's great to have someone you've got that POV and what was it like at that particular time but I think like Eli is with his struggles, I think yeah. they're just presented better. Is it, did you read, I see, I read the version that was published, you know, for a long time, but there was an unabridged version that came out about maybe 15, 20 years ago. And I was curious to read that because I want to see if that's, if, if there's any difference in the two, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, I but I, I agree with you. It's a value. It's also a value piece that I know it takes place in the 1940s. It's Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, the same thing with Ilya Wiesel, but it's also a Jewish point of view as well, and there's not a ton of those, you know. So it's because it's not white Christian, mm-hmm. Anglo Christian. So there's that as well, and you could talk about persecution and and you know the same way. And when I used to do night, I used to talk about systemic bigotry stuff. Yeah. Uh, the catcher in the rye we've we've covered, so we don't ever we've and I think I think we would both agree that that's a we talked about how that was required reading Lord of the flies, a book that we really should get to at some point, because I've taught this before. Um, I've always enjoyed this book. I like talking about the politics in this book and, and how it ties into politics. I like to talk about how there are images of religion um, and weird spirituality. There's aspects of power. To me, this belongs in this list because it's about because of the protagonists and stuff. And it is a good introduction to a younger audience of um, high school students of that whole idea of power and the corruption of power. And also the, the, and, and things of that we know about the state of nature that you can hear a real deep political discussion out of the story of like Jack and, and Piggy and Ralph, et cetera. What do you think? Oh yeah. Well, it's been a long time, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I remember reading that, I think it was sophomore year and, Boy, was it crazy. Oh, yes. That was probably my first introduction of the quote-unquote Christ-like figure. Yes. And how we always try to find those in every piece of literature and everything. So, no, that's interesting. That's boys gone wild. I think that's probably where the term uh, or phrase boys will be boys came into play. And maybe we should use that to inform society that actually boys will not be boys because we must... Yeah. must help them and guide them. Yeah. But no, yes, that should be an interesting discussion once you pick that book. Yeah. And now and we and we actually are going through a few here um and we got one more and then and then you've got a bunch listed before we get to the house on Mango Street, but we have to kill a mockingbird, which I'm going to put a mm-hmm. pin in because I think we're eventually going to get to that. This is a book that can be evaluated and reevaluated. I still find a lot of value in it despite a lot of the arguments against it from both sides of the political spectrum. I think it's incredibly well written, and I think that's that's one of the things that gives it a lot of merit, and there's a lot of discussions. I think one of the problems that we often have in our white space is that that's the book that we stop at, and that's not where you stop. That's where you start the conversation, and then you keep going. But I don't think that you – this is, I think, the 
and and again, it's another story for another day. But I think sometimes the effort to offload to kill a mockingbird is a little bit of throwing a baby out with the bathwater. We should think about recontextualizing our discussion with it. But I think it, I, I, I see why it's on this list. Although I don't know if it, it's a young adult because it's a kid protagonist. And that's it. I think it was written for adults. Which one are you on? Mockingbird. Oh, Mockingbird. Yeah. Well, isn't that kind of controversial now? Yeah. But that's yeah. what you just said. So I was just about. saying, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I think it's something that uh, <laughs> is still worthwhile literature, but we can still look at it through a critical lens. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if the inclusion of the, of it on YA lit, because it, was, because it might have been written for a more adult audience, is might disqualify it from this list just in particular but i still think because it's assigned to high school students it gets it gets the inclusion so we'll, we'll come back to that eventually right one of us is going to pick yeah, one of us is going to pick that one day for years i know we talked about the house on mango street yep. now you have a few books in here the wizard of earth Sea book i've never read so yes, which was tell a me series. A so for once, they didn't put the whole series on their list. Oh, I hate when they do that. Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, I think, um, you know, pre-Harry Potter, Wizards and things like that. The Powers of Names, which is really interesting. We talk about that quite a bit as a theme. I, it's been a long time since I've read it. I remember reading the whole series. I think there are four books. Uh, mm. What is that? A quart? <laughs> I don't even Quadrilogy? know. Is that what it is? Um, I remember enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I think that it is, I feel like it's more, not complicated, but maybe more advanced than Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. But that could just be my misremembering. Yeah. And there's Tuck Everlasting. I think my dad read this and really liked it, but I've never read this. Yeah, I read it sixth grade. Sixth grade. Mm. Okay. Uh, in, in the course, yep. So it was mm. interesting. Yeah. And then Rory Gilmore played her in the film. Oh, okay. AKA Alexis Bledel, yeah. You've got The Giver, one that a student of mine was talking about today and really, really liked, and I've yeah. never read. Worth it? It took a... Yeah. I'm sorry? Is it worth it? I think it is worth it. I remember seeing the very odd... Co- oh, the old man for mm-hmm. years. I mean, I think probably like second grade on, and I finally read it when I was teaching at that school because someone had said, like, you really should, and it's not... A super long read, but it is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mentioned Speak earlier. I really think that's a very good book. It's it it no pun intended speaks to the issue of rape <gasps> in a way that is very very frank and really can open up the conversation. I think that's why it ends up on this list because it's like yes, we can have a very serious conversation about this topic because the the, the book handles it in a way that is. Uh, that gives it the way it needs to feed is a dystopian novel about kids that are plugged into a network. That's very like prescient about social network and social media and stuff. Mm. One of my colleagues tried to, was teaching it a few, a number of years ago when my old school and, and um, some parent made such a ruckus about it actually ended up on the ALA (laughs) thing. Yeah. He kind of got notoriety for it because the parent was a nut job. I like the concept. I actually didn't like the book very much. Um, you didn't like the book? Yeah, I just did the, just the book itself. I was like, okay. it, I like the concept, the idea, the characters, everything. I just, it just, it wasn't, it was just the style of writing or something, you know? So it was like, yeah, yeah that sort of. It kind of sounds like that Vonnegut short story. Mm, which one? Like Harrison Bergeron or something? Uh, yeah, it is that one. Yeah, a little bit. This is a little bit of, 
it's kind of a precursor to what Ernest Klein would do with Ready Player One, but Feed is a little bit more futuristic out there, like we're on the moon and there's a, so there, there are some very interesting things about it. But maybe it, maybe it's worth a reread. It's been a number of years. You have the sister of the sisterhood of the traveling pants. I've never read that. I remember the movie. Yeah, I'm suspicious that I've only seen the movie, but I feel like I've also read it. Okay. But. Uh, yeah, again, yeah, female camaraderie mm-hmm. and friendship, I think, which is really strong um, without shipping people together, because that's actually a pet peeve of mine, <laughs> shipping women friends together mm-hmm. when they're not meant to be. But, uh, yeah, I just enjoy, yeah, literally, you know, growing up, uh, some sexual awakenings in some of them, um, which is interesting with Judy Bloom we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. You know, being careful, and Judy Bloom seems like she might be a safe author, but... The one I've read, which is not one of the two you mentioned, man, there's some masturbation in there. Mm-hmm. Female masturbation. I'll specify by saying female. And you're like, wow, this is, uh, do, 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 do kids even know what's going on right now? <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So something to, but dealt with well in Sisterhood and the, the Traveling yeah, Pants. Yeah. We've both mentioned Persepolis and I mentioned The Lightning yeah. Thief a moment ago. The Book Thief. I'm shocked you've never read The Book Thief? No, I saw the film, so I oh, guess I didn't see the it, point. The book's it, really yeah. the book is a little bit the book is a little bit more and and it's really good. Actually, there's like artsy things kind of along not not like picture picture pages like we had in our last um well like we had in uh, in in, in uh, extremely loud. Oh jeez. But there is when the book when the when the oh what's the character's name the guy who's hiding <laughs> out in their basement is writing those letters we see the drawings and things oh that is a time when that sort of thing actually contributes to the store you gotta let it go you gotta let it go i'm sorry i'm sorry maybe if i (laughs) you'll get my eye you get really upset and then i Um, get upset let me see if i mentioned okay uh we both have read the hunger we've talked about the hunger games i think at some point or another we'll probably end up covering the other two hunger games books and i totally see why they're on this list i mean yeah i think they left off harry potter because it was probably too young in their minds what do you think it was too young. Like, I think the uh, the primary audience for Harry Potter starts as children, so maybe that's why they lo- left off Harry Potter novels. Because th- I'm assuming you've read the Harry Potter novels. I have. So I, I guess have. I'm still confused. I mean, it gets so dark. Um, so you're sort of equating it. Well, you think that it's younger than The Lightning Thief. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I think that's what they might be doing, too. But The Hunger Games definitely, like, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised Twilight isn't on this list. Maybe... Uh, well, with that that panel of judges, they might be more discerning than that. Do you think maybe it could be because Rawlings a turf? I don't know. That's a good question. So they wanted to kind of eliminate any potential controversies. That is possible. I I, I didn't think of it that way. And Stephanie Myers is a bad writer. So uh, the Fault in Our Stars, I briefly mentioned, and like I said, I totally. I think there's a need for a John Green book on this list, but I tend to prefer another one of his to that, even though I did enjoy The Fall in Our Stars. This is with March. The thing that actually bothered me was that they put two books of March on here instead of just making it the whole trilogy. But that's yeah. I'm splitting hairs. And that's just me being annoying. But like they would Maybe. do <laughs> yeah, they would do that with uh. With there, you get internet books like Goodreads list, and here's the 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 top whatever, and they're like, and the like six of the Harry Potter books would be on there. It's taking up six spots. Just use it for the series. Yeah, you know, 
Maybe they stopped when John got too old. So book three, he was past juvenile age. Yeah. Sun is also a star we mm-hmm. already talked about. We just did that book. Dear Now, this is where um, I have more books than you did, and I've read these in recent years. Uh, Dear Martin is a book about a uh, black teenager who is writing letters as a journal to Martin Luther King, and it's about him and his friend and his there's a tragedy that's that's um, suffered in the middle of it. There's a trial, etc. I really can't get too much into it without giving too much away. It's really, it's it's a very good book. It's um, I would say it's used a little younger, like eighth grade, ninth grade, that is supposed to like the hate you give, which is kind of a little, little bit more mature, maybe ninth into tenth grade, and the hate you give we talked about. And they're very much of the like I was I'm I was planning on grouping that. All American Boys, They Hate You Give, Dear Martin, like those together. We might find a fourth one as kind of a lit circle because they both touch, they all touch upon the same uh, topics. Mm-hmm. Long Way Down is a really interesting book. It's by Jason Reynolds. It's written all in poetry. So it's one of those books that you flip through and each page is a poem. And oh, it takes place in cre- entirely almost on an elevator ride down from a kid's apartment to the, to the um, ground floor of a building. And he is on his way to go kill somebody in revenge for somebody else's death. And so it's his thoughts and, and this kind of ghosts visiting him. It's really, really, really fascinating. And and um, it's one of those books where I'm, I'm not the hugest fan of the sort of poetry as no, as a novel thing. Um, sometimes I think it works and sometimes I doesn't. I doesn't. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> it really works here. So interesting. I don't know now if you don't care for poetry, are you going to care for this book? I think you will because it's not as structured. It tends to be more free flowing and freestyle. Sometimes there's rhyme, sometimes there's meter, but it's it's a lot more. It's loose. It plays loose with the form, which I think works. Do you consider it a novel? Yeah, it's like a poetic novel. It's almost like a whole other subgenre. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This the same can be said for the um, Elizabeth Acevedo novel, The Poet X, which is is also a poetic novel, which I really loved. It was it was really, really good. It's about this girl living in the Bronx and this guy she falls in love with and her father is very stern and it, it's, it's a really, really good piece. Um, the 57 Buses is a true story about a trans girl who is set on fire on a public bus and kind of the go... Yeah, it, it's a... And, and, goes, and what she goes through in recovering and then accusing the and and then accusing the boy who who did it to her and confronting it it's very interesting although when i went to research the true story behind it i couldn't find anything about it aside from articles about the book so i was like Hmm. yeah but i was i I really found it really really interesting and then with the fire on high is another elizabeth acevedo novel which is very good and uh that is about a latino girl living in Philadelphia, I believe, and she's like a chef. She she wants to be a chef, so it's told through like cooking and stuff. Um, she's got a kid, and, and and she's she's a young woman. She's in high school, and it's 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 really really good. Yeah, so the, this is a, it's a solid list. And what I like about lists like this is not the sort of how dare you put this on this off. It it's one of those lists that just like back in the day when I used to watch those like countdown shows on like VH1 and and stuff like the top 100 songs of the 90s. It makes you want to go and look these books up. Mm. You know, it makes you want to go to the bookstore. It makes you want to go to the library, go to the library and, and find, ooh, this looks really interesting. In the same way, that would make me want to go to the record store, or the video store and rent something because I saw something of it. 
and I think I think it succeeds in this purpose. You know, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I think there were there were several of them. Like feed, I had seen students reading, and I think it's like ants all the way down or something like that. Ant? No, I'm combining turtles. titles. Turtles all the way no, down. No, it's not that one. Then it's something about ants. We were ants. We were. The oh, ants. oh, yeah. It's um, that was on the list. We were ants. We are the ants. Okay. Sean yeah. David Hutchinson. So that was another one. I do know there's a queer character in okay. there, but I can't remember uh, specifics about that. But anyway, so some of them I was like, I, I almost regretted, like, oh man, I should have read those when, when I had some students to talk about it with. But yeah, things that I can definitely check out. And I feel like I haven't read to. I I tried to I guess make up for my lack of mm-hmm. voices that I've been reading, and I feel like I've barely touched asian or asian american literature Mm -hmm. uh were there many titles on there i may have missed but yeah i kind of want to seek them out uh, next but it'd be interesting i i did text tom at one point uh this week and i said you know i just had an idea (laughs) (laughs) that we should have after this episode started a year of picking books only from this list even though robert would have killed us but um it would have been interesting to yeah to pick books that we i I, maybe both of us hadn't read to see and answer those questions of did it deserve to be on this list potentially but no once i finish i guess my january reading maybe i'll start diving into some of these books that i had never heard of before yeah i'm looking at them are there any that jump out at you that like that's the one i might want to start with oh interesting maybe the book thief <laughs> yeah i mean it's a really good book i really yeah and it is it's a book it. about books which is yeah. fun too yeah so i think yeah that would be interesting there is a there was an interesting one i think it's i've closed off my my browser which is why i can't tell the time uh-huh. but it is it looks like a young black man in prison that's what the that's what the the book looks like the uh, book jacket. Yeah, I think it's his name is the title. Yeah, I might be able to find I, it. But I'm I thought, well, that would be completely something that I haven't read or a story that I haven't read. It, so that is also yeah interesting. It's called Tyrell. Yeah, it, it, he of, is in a prison yard, isn't he? I think so. Okay, we could see, be or I could be wrong. A fourteen-year-old boy in the Bronx who was. Uh, Whitney firsthand that so Tyrell, though he's still said he is forced to make mature decisions about taking care of his family and to wrestle the temptation about illegal opportunities, all the while navigating the ties of teenage relationships and working to define a future for himself. So he's not in prison. It's okay. kind of a trying to avoid falling into that trap. Okay. He's living in a tough neighborhood. I don't know what it was about the. Yeah. Than I thought, it was oh, you no know, because there's because there's a building in the background that looks like if, if I'm looking at it, it kind of looks like housing projects. So it has not sort of aesthetic to it. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah, again, just looking for voices that are not my own and, and that. But I do want to seek out more Asian American literature. I feel like I've just neglected that for whatever reason. Not intentionally, but just seeking out those voices more. But yeah, The Book Thief, I think, might be a good good one to pick up, too. Yeah, I'm looking at some of these. I, me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, I've heard really good things oh, yeah. about. I, that, that might be That might be one I would check out. I've heard David Levithan is also a really, really good author. So every day sounds really, sounds really interesting. I, everything, everything, I'm actually curious about since I really oh, did enjoy wow. the Sun is Also Stars. That really good images as well. Yeah. I hope you can handle it. I think I'll be okay. 
So, but yeah, so there's some really, really interesting thing on here. Um, do you have just even off this list? Do you have any recommendations? We'll, we'll close out with a couple of recommendations. We don't have any feedback this episode. Um, we we uh, we set aside the feedback for next episode when we get it. So um, let's close out with each recommending a young adult book that you know we're just just any young adult book, and then um, I'll ask Stella what we're reading next episode. So um, how about I start? And that Please, way yeah, think. I'm trying to pull up my Goodreads as we speak. Yeah, um, you know, there's one book, and I, and I mean to reread it. It's a it's kind of like an apocalyptic fiction type of book. It's called We All Looked Up by Tommy Wallach. And the, the conceit of this book is that there's a, that scientists have discovered that there is an asteroid that is going to collide with Earth. And it's kind of like the last two weeks in this northwestern, like in and around Seattle of like what's going to happen. Uh, you know, like, what are we going to do? You've got two weeks left on Earth. I think we're all going to die. And these high school students. So that kind of it's I found it really interesting how would certain high school students behave and like one kind of goes viral with the way that she's showing things that aren't being shown and then society's kind of collapsing around them and they plan this big party for the end of the world and it's it's very teen movie in some ways but I really like the characterization and I really like the whole idea um, idea around it so it's it's completely off this list but I spotted it randomly in the library or a target once or something and went to the library and checked it out. So I would, I would recommend that. I, I really enjoyed it. We all looked up by Tommy Wallach. And I shocking to no one will recommend a shipper, oh, a shipper novel. <laughs> really? Oh, but it's so good. It was called, or it is called some girls do by Jennifer Dugan, who apparently also wrote hot dog girl, but I have not read that. But this, I give it five stars on Goodreads, which I do not do very often, I have to say. But it follows two girls. You've got Morgan, who is a track athlete, and she actually is forced to transfer high schools late in her senior year because uh, she comes out as being queer, which kind of uh, rubs some people the wrong way since she went to a private Catholic school. But it wasn't just being out, but... Also, some interactions, poor interactions with some administrators and things like that. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to keep that under wraps while going to this new school and being on track. So, you know, how can she be herself as well as, you know, being safe about it as well so she can get into a good college? And then she meets this other girl named Ruby who is competing in many local beauty pageants and it's more because she's like trying to make it up to her mother because her mother became pregnant with her when she was younger and she was unable to live out that dream so she's trying to make it up to her but she doesn't really like it and ruby is closeted closeted bisexual and so it's about like these interactions well these two become friends well first they're enemies then they're friends and then there's some romance there as well but it's besides being romance really looking into what is it like to um either be out and in high school and welcomed or not or be in the closet and of course ruby's got all these other issues with kind of an abusive mother's boyfriend and things like that so there's a lot of depth with this and a more or less happy ending but you know there are some some struggles and conflict as comes with the romances but i highly recommend it i thought that it was really well i thought it was really good plus 
I think being authentic to uh, queer stories, whether queer stories where you're out or queer stories where you're closeted and, and a lot's on the line and uh, you might have to stay closeted for safety purposes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there you go. All right. Cool. Well, that does it for at least our introduction to Hawaii Lit. I think we're going to come back. I think we're going <laughs> to come back to this. What a heck of an introduction. Yeah, and we might, we may, we may kind of drill down into some of the more um, nuances of the of the category there. So before we go, we do have a reading mm-hmm. assignment for next episode. So Stella, for episode 61, what are we reading? Yeah, I mentioned it in this episode in passing. It I I have the privilege I guess of being in December. Yes. Yeah. So I was trying to think of a wintry vista, and I've also wanted to talk about this with Tom, given the strong themes of uh, sexual assault that happen in there, as well as a violent feminist protagonist. So we're gonna have some fun, I think, with this <laughs> one, but also listener discretion advice. We're gonna be doing the girl with the dragon tattoo by Steg Larson. Cool. All right. Well, that'll be for December, and uh, so you'll come back to that. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on young adult literature, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like about it, what you don't like about it, and many books you might recommend or steer us away from. Requiredreadingcast at gmail.com. And we are, of course, on Twitter and all that. And as always, thank you very much for listening, and take care. And remember, folks, even if Tom says it is, Penthouse Magazine is not YA literature. It was when my generation <laughs> was younger. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, jeez. You always have to go back to the porn. <laughs> Goodbye! Jeez. Oh, man. Good night. Thanks for listening to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, which is brought to you by two true freaks. That's two true freaks. If you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash required reading with Tom and Stella. If you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion, you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com. We will read every email we get on future episodes. We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review in iTunes? If you're interested in following along with the books we read, you can do that and support us at the same time. Just go to twotruefreaks.com, click the Amazon.com link. Every purchase you make will go to support us and the other TTF podcasts. It costs you nothing extra, but it really helps us out. Thanks again for listening, and come back next month for our next episode.